When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome to episode 245 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilsey. I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN and Barcelona.com creator. And Frances, rumor has it that we are going to be talking about Barcelona B for the entire show today. Well, I might do that, so I'm glad you're here to talk about the first team with me. Hola, culés. Um, yes, yes. Uh, none of us watch any Cadiz games or any PSG. I don't know who those people are. So yeah, let's talk about Luz Pitalet. 
Well, actually, the B team is a good place to start. It's not the entire show, but I want to start with a quick point about the B team, and I promise we're going to get to Gadith and all of that negativity in a minute. But I did want to start on a positive note. As you mentioned, Barcelona B did wallop on Aspidalet yesterday to the tune of 6 nothing. Callado, that being Alex Callado, had goals 5 and 6 in the match. EX Moriba scored a screamer. Alejandro Balde, these are all names that you've heard before here on our show for the first team. Balde was extremely influential at left back. Even Arnaud Tanas, the promising goalkeeper, was as good when called upon in net as expected to be as a teenage goalkeeper. I know Kamas, the center back we've been speaking about, added a goal and was solid defensively. Unfortunately, Andre Oriana, who I've spoken about as a potential, we'll say, replacement for Sergio Busquets, and I say that as loosely and vaguely as possible. But uh, even though he was injured, Nico Gonzalez, who usually plays an attacking midfielder, did well moving back to that pivot role. And Conrad De La Fuente had an assist in that match, and he's still looking to get his scoring boots this season. But still, he looked promising and found some space in the match. So all these players we've spoken about as earning minutes of the first team, or at least deserving a minutes of the first team this year, and being too good for the third division, that all kind of came to fruition sans Conrad in that match. And all of them fulfilled that promise that they deserve some minutes with the first team. It's good to see. Those are the, That's a good thing. And what makes sense why Coleman, and I, I think it makes sense that Coleman wanted to keep those players that needed to exercise the demons of PSG on the field against Cadiz, especially since the league was still very possible at the start of the match, that being before Barcelona dropped points. In particular, in the case of, of Iash, he's already debuted in the Copa and the Liga, so why have him sit on the bench instead of letting him getting minutes, what has been the case with Conrad? One goal for Conrad this season and almost 600 minutes since the last one. So I, I'm the one who's always saying play the kids, and you and I have been speaking in, re in recent weeks, Frances, we have to play the kids, play the kids. And I think that definitely applies to the teenagers and kids in the first team. Dest, Puj, Nguetha, heck, I mean, Mateus Fernandez is still just sitting around waiting for his opportunity, even though he's, what, 23 at this point or 22. But I'm not so sold on throwing B teenagers into the first team mess right after PSG. Maybe later when things are a bit more sorted in April and May and the team isn't coming off a loss to PSG. So all that, Frances, I know you didn't necessarily watch that exciting B-team match, but I needed to get those good vibes in. I needed to get that PSG weight lifted off me, so the B-team helped with that. And I know we're going to discuss how Coleman did with the Cadiz match as for the rest of the show um, and the things he got wrong there. But I want to ask first and, and foremost, in this idea of playing the kids, did he get it right by not calling up a few of the Barca B youngsters? Or would you say, regardless of all their injuries, they just can play anybody, some Joe Schmo, some kid from seven, 16, 17-year-old, and that Coleman really should have just gone for a youth revolution after PSG? Right. Um, I want to paraphrase someone who is um, John Toshak, which most people, I guess, have heard of. Uh, he was a coach of Real Madrid back in the 1990s. And uh, please bear with me because this is going somewhere. And I have mentioned this in the podcast before, probably a couple of years back. Um, so Toshak was a coach that was always under pressure on Real Madrid. Um, not Obviously not Spanish, which obviously in Spanish capital sort of gives you a pass a lot of the time. And... Um, you know, he had 11 starters, basically, and he had basically no one in the bench or no one of quality on the bench. And uh, there is this sentence that is, is, is very famous in Spain now, which is los once cabrones, los mismos once cabrones, which means, um, I want to say that into English, but the 11 um, not that lovely people that played last week. And basically the story is that he said that after a loss on the previous week, he wants to change all 11 of them then they do a couple of days of training and he thinks, well, okay, uh, maybe I'll play, I don't know, Salgado or whoever it was, or Chendo or Mitchell or Butragueño or some of those. 
And uh, then long story cut short, by the end of the week, he feels the same 11 because basically he's got no one else. Um, and this is basically what happened here. I mean, the PSG match, we recorded the podcast right after. Um, I'm sure that most people listen to this podcast, listen to the previous. And if you haven't, go back and see how we felt at the time. But it was a match that we did worse than we thought we were going to. It was a disappointing loss. And um, football showed us that Barca is not ready to compete at European level. Now, there are two ways that a coach could go about that. The coach could say, okay, so let's just throw all of these guys out because they're all useless, or which is in hindsight probably what he should have done. But other people would say, actually, no, uh, this was the best 11 that I decided for arguably the most important match of the season. Um, if I show trust on these players, it means because I really did trust them. And they did really badly against PSG in Europe. Everyone saw. So you know what? I'm going to give them another chance. Um, they're going to play against Cardiff, who we know is a team that traditionally parks the bus, especially this season. And uh, they seem to be doing that quite well, to be honest. And um, then hopefully that ele those 11 players that have filled it, they will go and improve and they will prove everyone wrong. They will get the morale back and it's a win-win-win for everything and for everyone. Now, I don't think he expected Cadiz to come out the way he did. And even if he expected that, he really didn't think that a lot of players in the starting 11 would just throw the towel before it's even, you know, the, the game has even started. Um, it should have been a game for a reaction. It should have been a, a great occasion for reivindicar, you know, so, 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 so for players to prove their worth, to say that actually, no, we messed up in midweek. It was a mistake. And I'm going to go up. We're going to go up in La Liga. Um, obviously, Atletico Madrid, we didn't think they were going to drop any points, but they are beginning to do so. Um, obviously, La Liga, in Kuman's eyes, I mean, what's he going to say? It's still possible. Uh, I still believe it's not, but there you go. I'm, I'm happy that the coach is optimistic, and that's what he needs to do with the players. You know, you can't really say to the players, there's nothing to fight for here. Um, but no, fielding the same 11 was a mistake because there's still a lot of people in there that are not up to scratch, that are not up to the level. And um, they seem to, within literally, it's quite alarming to be honest, but within 10 days, it seems that their confidence and morale that was skyrocketing before the PSG match is sort of hitting rock bottom again. And uh, something needs to happen for, for this to change. And I'm just not sure, like we said in the show after PSG, that Busquets, Piquet, Alba, arguably even Messi aren't up to the challenge anymore. So we'll see. Yeah, it was an odd thing because the disappointment after Kadif, and again, we spoke about it on, on, on the show a few days ago, the disappointment thing about, or rather PSG, was that Barcelona just didn't have the talent. That it was, again, as, as you said so eloquently from, from Catalan Radio, that Barcelona just aren't good enough. And it's an understanding that Barcelona cannot compete with the best of Europe. And the irony there is that PSG got dismantled by Monaco 2-0 yesterday. So it's not like PSG is this all-dominant force either in France. They're currently third in their table. All that said about PSG, they have an eye. And as I keep mentioning, they, they all the pressure from their ownership group comes about winning the Champions League, where they can win as many league on tables last decade as they want. But if they don't win that Champions League, there is still disappointment. There are still managers in and out of PSG at somehow just as fast or faster a rate as Barcelona. That's how quickly they change their manager. Same thing even with the likes of Chelsea. The ones who have these ownership, particularly their singular owners or ownership groups that demand accountability and demand victories in European competition where the brand is most valuable. 
And all that said about a Spanish football, not to even let Barcelona off the hook at all, but all the other Spanish clubs, with the exception of Granada, who did really well in the Europa League, Real Sociedad, Sevilla, Barcelona, they were all keeping the ball, had a ton of possession, getting a lot of opportunities, but they were all outclassed by opponents that were willing to give you the ball and use their superior either athleticism or their just superior finishing talent up front. And that being Real Sociedad against Manchester United. Yeah, the mighty Manchester United going, hey, Real Sociedad, La Real, here's the ball, take it, you do your Spanish football thing, and then we'll sit back and worry about it later. Same thing. Dortmund is like, hey, we have Erlen Holland to run at you, so we're just going to hang out, wait for you to give us the ball, and then we'll run at you as fast as possible, and Sevilla obliged. And they tried to come back a little bit, but that was an exciting match too. Barcelona, unfortunately, to PSG, who I think were, we'll say, the more all-conquering of the three, but Barcelona were also the more at-class of all three of the Spanish sides in that instance. We'll see how Real Madrid does. As, as weird as it is, Real Madrid is trying to represent some positivity for Spanish football. And, I mean, yeah, we'd love to see if Real Madrid wound up losing 6 nothing or 5 nothing or whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's almost an indictment of Spanish football that it seems that the challenges of counterattacking football, which is uh, running rampant everywhere in, in the world with these best teams, Spain just doesn't really have that, right? That, that whether you're at the top, other than Real Madrid, no other team in Spain really does counterattack at a, t- at a, at a high, high level. Uh, the only one other one in Spain that really does so is Levante. And Levante, with their attack, uh, uh, we'll say their pressure and then their willingness to counterattack after sitting back, was what had Atletico Madrid drop points twice this week. So it's just been interesting to see, for me, in Europe, how the style that Barcelona is not used to seeing at an elite level is the very style that teams are using against Barcelona to overwhelm them. Uh, in a way that Bayern could have really done anything they wanted. I mean, that was 8-2. But against PSG, they just had the style that perfectly matched up uh, against all the wonderful weaknesses that Barcelona have. And now, for the league, I also want to mention, too, that in league, yes, even though Barcelona are long shots to win it, you still mathematically have to be bought in. And it's not Coleman's job. Again, his job is up for grabs. It is his job not to give up on the league. You can maybe give up on Champions League at this point. And he's kind of said as such that, I, I mean, I, we, he, he said, I, I don't have the exact quote, but uh, it was a matter of this is going to be very, very difficult, which is a coach kind of tipping his hat to say, I don't know he's, how this is going to He literally said, he said, I, I watched the press conference in Spanish. He literally said, I can lie to you, but overcoming a four-goal deficit, when you lose one for a home, overcoming the deficit is virtually impossible. That's what he said. Yep, yeah. And, and so he knew also in the pre-game conference before, or the pre-match conference before the, the match against Cadiz, that they could have cut it to six, but it remains at eight for up to Atletico Madrid at the top. They still have a game in hand on Real Madrid, as do Barcelona, but Zidane is now only three points behind. So worst case, non-Barca-related scenario, obviously, is that Real Madrid wins the Liga over Atletico Madrid. I think that'll put more even pressure, especially, as we keep saying, it's going to be Laporta in about two and a half weeks' time. So, I mean, yeah, we're about to have a presidential election, so there is some positivity coming uh, in a few weeks. Just wait. But to the point that if Real Madrid winds up winning La Liga this season, it makes it even worse for reasons that... I know we don't care. If Barca ends up winning, I don't care. It's obviously a bummer, a bummer if Real Madrid wins, just like they did last season when they came back from the pandemic break and they went off on all those wins. So if Real Madrid does win the Liga, that's worse than Atletico Madrid winning, duh. And yeah. it's going to put even more pressure on the new president. It's going to put even more pressure on the players. And Barcelona continues to be a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it winds up being it winds up being an issue. And Barcelona also six points ahead of Real Real in fifth, so that's not really safe either. But I would expect that third or fourth place with Sevilla are much more possible than getting up to first or fall. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Out of the top four. Yeah, um, I mean, you've said a lot of points. Um, I really don't have that much to add. To, to be honest, today, I'm a little bit all over the place. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed. Um, well, I well can I that... target that disappointment with a question for you? Is it disappointing yeah. for Cadiz because the league is still in play? As in, if Barca were still 12 points behind Atletico Madrid, do you think yesterday would have been less disappointing? disappointing? Or is it merely just looking at PSG and that is why that match was disappointing? If that makes any no, sense. No, yeah, it does. The question makes perfect sense. I think that it's not disappointing based on anyone else but ourselves. I think that Barca should have been, you know, especially after the PSG defeat, they should have gone out biting. You know, they should have gone out biting on the PSG game anyway. But once you've really messed that up, this game should have been at least a 4 or 5 nil. Uh, this is what Barca needed. This is what Barca could do. And this is not what happened. I mean, in, 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 in Spanish football, it's always Barca against Madrid. And you've already sort of hinted that. Um, the years that Deportivo La Coruña won La Liga or um, Valencia or even the Atletico Madrid years, I wasn't really that bothered. <laughs> I wasn't really that cross. Mm-hmm. I was unhappy that Barca didn't win it. But then again, even if we don't win, if Madrid don't, then, you know, good luck to Valencia. You know, they did really well those couple of years that they won it back in the early 2000s, I think it was. And I wasn't really that cross. Um, and even, you know, the ligas that we won with Deportivo La Coruña pushing until the until the last game uh, with Jukic missing the penalty, etc. If Depor had won those, it wouldn't have been the end of the world because Madrid weren't winning them. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it is, I, I don't know if it's very easy for anyone from outside Catalonia and Spain to understand, but it is yin and yang. And to be honest, the, the, there's 20 teams in La Liga every single season. Uh, Barca and Madrid normally win them all. So whenever there's someone else, it's not, it's not the most upsetting thing in the world. Um, but back to the Cadiz game. I really do think that um, it was disappointing in the way that the players failed themselves, to be honest. Um, I think that the, the, the fact that there are so many mistakes that you just cannot explain. is you, you say sort of lack of concentration, lack of skill, lack of willingness. You can put everything into a balance. and But when you try to pinpoint what it is, it's none of those, but it's all of the above. You know, like like the Dylan Glare thing. Obviously, you can hate on the guy as much as you want, but it's happened to everybody else. You know, like even Ilesh Moriva came up the other day and make a mistake, you know. So yeah. there's been goals conceded by mistakes by Araujo, by Mingueza, by Umtiti, by Pique, obviously Lenglet, several of them as well. And to be honest, they've all been at fault, even Jordi Alba. So we've considered inexplicable 
at professional level and even at amateur level, like, you know, I've been playing football for nearly 40 years now. Um, even at amateur level, you don't make those mistakes. So the fact that, you know, there's one mistake one week, then the next week, somehow we don't. But then the next week, we're back at it again. Like the amount of points we've given out. I mean, I don't have the calculation tally with me, but it must be at least 15 points in La Liga that we've given away just for stupid childish mistakes. And, uh, you know, with all due respect, because I actually really like the city of Cadiz and, and you know, with, um, all the beaches and all the surfing and, and the philosophy and the people of Cadiz and Andalusia. I've got nothing against them, but it's Cadiz. You know, we've won one point out of six against Cadiz in La Liga when they were in Segunda División not that, not that long ago. It is, it's mind-blowing. It is ridiculous and it's embarrassing that Barca are in this situation. And as I've already said, like, especially after a defeat like the PSG, you want your team to come back biting and bouncing. And, you know, you've got the people, uh, players with quality such as, you know, Pique, Busquets, um, Alba, and even Messi himself, who was nowhere to be seen against, the P- against PSG in the European game. And those players especially, they've been finger-pointed. They've been, in a way, singled out in the media throughout, not just Catalonia and Spain, but throughout the whole world. You would have expected there would have been some pride left and there would have been some reaction, but there was none. There really was none. Um, every time that um, either one of them missed a pass or they didn't take a shot that went the right way, they're just sort of looking at the floor, scratching their heads, and you know you don't really need that. And uh, you can go back to the game before PSG when we destroyed, I think it was Alaves, we scored five goals, 5-1 I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Ricky Puch started that game. You had Pedri, Ricky, you had Mingueza playing. And, and it was it was different. It was a different feeling. It was a different way. Um, but obviously, that didn't generate into anything much against Cadiz. And it is utterly disappointing. Yeah. I, I, the question I ask is, is it disappointing because it's the same players making mistakes again? And the same mistakes. And it's it's rinse, repeat all season long. And I do want to mention on the Langley point, yeah, Langley, as much as you can individually blame him, there was a lot of factors going in there that, uh, again, you can't stick your, your leg in there. It was his third penalty allowed this season. That's frustrating to see. And I was telling <laughs> I was telling my wife that I, I, for some reason, I really suppressed this memory. But back when I played, again, this was maybe, what, 12, 13 years ago uh, when I was playing uh, against our rivals. So it was our big match. It was my senior year It was of, of high school. It was, it was our big match against our rival team and they had one really really good player and for some reason my my manager i was normally a our, our coach our head coach usually i was a, a, a midfielder and he puts me at right back for that match where i did do a little bit of right back but it was usually against the not so great teams we were also not so great so when we play the other not so great teams i would get to play right back but this time instead of coming off the bench being a right midfielder he gave me a start against our rivals at at, at right back and their good player was a left winger and there was one play where my defense did not help me out and they left me on an island with him and he just I mean he both dribbled through me and completely I mean I was 30 pounds I'm tiny now I mean you see I'm not that big and I was 30 pounds or 20 pounds less than I am now and he just physically manhandled me bail bail Bartra style and I'm on the floor watching this guy score a solo goal our goalkeeper probably should have <laughs> saved it, but and our, my defense should help me. But I just looked around. Everyone is looking at me on the floor, going, "This is all your fault. <laughs> this is what this is all what you have done. We are now down one nothing to our rival team, and you let their best player 
absolutely eviscerate you. And I, again, I repressed that memory <laughs> deep, deep, deep inside yeah. me. And when I saw Lang Lei do that in the 88th minute, I thought, well, at least I only did in the first 10 minutes of the, of the match. At least right. I set the tempo. But you know what, Dan? Yeah. You were probably paying to play that match. You probably had a fee of like uh, $5 or whatever it was. And uh, these people get paid millions for doing this. So it's just not acceptable. Oh, absolutely not. I I would get a Gatorade or Powerade. I know they don't sponsor our show, but I I would get... So the thing was, if I played really well, my, my, my father would get me a Gatorade or a Powerade for the next match. Usually it was just water. Right, water makes the world go round. So, I, but I get like a special like sports drink if I if I had played well, and I did not get a Gatorade of Powerade for, for the next match after that one. But boy, back to back to Lang Lei. No, no, let's yeah. not go back. Uh, we've already <laughs> gone down that road. Um, okay. Just to say that when I was playing football in Spain growing up, uh, whenever you got injured, you there would be a big garrafa. You know, there would be a big bottle of water, mm-hmm. and uh, whenever we played on sun, it was Sunday mornings. So you know. We were around 18, 19, 20. We would have gone out the night before. Let's just say the water tasted a little bit different on a Sunday morning. Rumor has it there was some tequila put in there, but you know. Yeah. Or, or for our kid-friendly audience, have you ever seen Space Jam? It's it's Michael Jordan's yes. his, his his secret drink, which uh, <laughs> apparently it was just it was just water, but tune juice. But anyway, okay. So we're gonna get back to the unfortunately the disappoint. Instead of our own disappointments, let's get back to uh, some of the things that we saw from you know, Barca. But the, see the thing done yeah. with this do you know what's happening is that we really don't want to talk about Barca so we're just <laughs> purposefully digressing yeah and talking but I do I do have a lot so. of notes though so I think okay, to, good, good. To, to go back to it so Langley his third penalty allowed this season and speaking again about the the same players making similar mistakes uh and we, you know we spoke about Umtiti where he looked good I mean we said for two two weeks there we're like hey could he be 60 70 percent of the old Umtiti and then he had two what they like to call disaster classes that were that were terrible so Umtiti he isn't better with the mistakes Langley again has allowed more penalties third, third, third his third penalty allowed the season but I would argue that Umtiti's disasters are worse than Langley's because Umtiti yeah. can have multiple in one game Langley just makes one bad mistake in seemingly almost every match though unfortunately but against a low block and the argument for me was questioning the Langley over Umtiti in this situation and, and as you know very much where again I we always bring up Pep Guardiola but here's our here's our one talk about Pep Guardiola not only was there a little bit of history where he actually made his debut uh, against Cadiz in 1990 so fun fact there but anyway for against a low block like Cadiz was playing I thought Umtiti was a much much better choice especially if you're going to put him next to PK you're not putting him next to Mugueta or another uh we'll say non-talker at the back you're putting next to Gerard Pique. So I think it's much better to have a center back that can play out of the back and dribble into the spaces that Cadiz gives you. And that was Umtiti. He's a first-team player still. Yeah, it, I did not think he should have started against PSG, which he didn't. He shouldn't be starting the big matches, obviously, because he's not as good as Langley, I guess to say, in those big matches. And Pique really doesn't do much of that whole dribbling into the spaces either, unless he's heading up to goal to try to score. Pique is busy doing all the things where he's trying to organize the back line and I can't for the life of me figure out why a back line with three veterans and Dest is the inexperienced one next to PK as the only inexperienced one has so many problems pushing their line and holding that offside trap, which they also struggled with against Kadith. So uh, my questioning there was why was it not Umtiti over Langley? And again, the frustration that Langley in these matches, in these tight, close matches, he keeps making these mistakes, including against the last one against Kadith. So I just, I know I'm splitting hairs by saying why was it not Umtiti than Langley in this match. The more important thing was the other side of the field about the finishing. Griezmann, Messi, Dembele not scoring and chances there 21 to 3 or 22 to 3 on shots, whatever the final count was, also offside four times. So Cadiz playing essentially that nine at the back. 
Believe it or not, for Gadith, yeah, they were solid, but it wasn't working. Barcelona kept getting in behind, and they kept getting opportunities. They just didn't finish. If any of those opportunities goes in, then it, we're talking about a different match. And that's continuing to be the frustrating thing, which is the same players in these circumstances where it feels like a must-win match for Barca. Not against the Giants. Barcelona, you know, Kool-Aid's almost conceded that Barca aren't going to beat Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, PSG. They're not going to beat the, the bigger teams or the teams they're supposed to beat this year. Instead, they're they're just they're they're failing to beat the teams that are fighting relegation that you're supposed to beat and you have to beat and I think the more frustrating thing was not that they didn't do well against Cadiz the fact is they actually broke down Cadiz because the manager Severa says exactly what Cadiz are going to do and Coleman knew what they were going to do and they kept getting in behind but they could not beat that offside trap and they also could not finish and that winds up being the difference I think even more so than the defensive frailties this time around. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of points as, as usual in there. Um, in terms of the defense, basically, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, really. I mean, Umtiti yeah. is not there to compete at the highest level. I think that's abundantly clear. Lengle, you wouldn't put him in the top 20 or 30 defenders in Europe at all. So the same with Piquet after three months of, for, from injury. Um, you wouldn't put him in the probably top 10 of defenders in Europe right now. Um, Dest after injury, he's inexperienced, but you know he's th that's natural because he's young. But um, he he's coming back from injury. You wouldn't put him up there, definitely not in the form that he was. And then Jordi Alba has got a lot of players and so left back that are better and, and not just better. Um, and this is a point that I've been wanting to make in the podcast for a little while now. Um, what Jordi Alba does is good. What Jordi Alba did was great, which is very been a very very um very forced to, a great force to be reckoned moving forward a very incisive very uh, ambitious left back but there are a lot of other left backs now that are younger more fit uh, more physically and mentally and i'm not saying the mental part but i think that is the key here um that can do what jordi alba did not even does but did and they can add a lot more physicality and they can add a lot more reliability on the defensive end and uh, when you put all of that into the balance, then it is natural that these players that are not in the, they're not world class and they're not in the elite of European football, that they keep making mistakes. I mean, in the game against PSG, for example, I know we can go back to that one, but that's the biggest game we've played recently. I know we played against, against Cardiff, but if Kuman doesn't start Piquet and they get destroyed 4-0, like we did anyway, then people would say, oh, but you had Piquet and you didn't choose him. So it's a lose-lose it's a situation. Yeah. And uh, then up front, having over 20 shots on goal and scoring only once, and it has to be because Pedri, the only, the only beacon of hope uh, that this season seems to be generating, um, should yeah. have been Ansu Fati, but he's injured as well. But it really is the, the one that created the goal by going into the area, doing something unexpected no one else sort of saw, or the, just, just him, to be honest gets fouled and then Messi scores from the penalty. That is the goal we got uh, against Cadiz. And then we had 60 or 70 minutes, or however many they were, in which we knew that if Barca scored a second goal, if they are ambitious and they keep pushing forward to score the second goal, then the game is over. Uh, when you're playing against any team, in La any team in the world, to be honest, and you've got a 1-0 against a team that, or, or you are a team that obviously comes from the defeat, against PSG, mentally weak, uh, physically weak, then it's natural that it could unbalance the other way and Cadiz took, took full advantage. And as I said before, one point, against six, one point out of six against Cadiz 
is is awful, awful. Yeah, it was an interesting point that you mentioned about Lang Lei, and this is what I was thinking about yesterday too, where we've spoken about after PSG that, and I got a lot of responses here. There's a lot of names that people sent me. I appreciate that about replacing Busquets. There were a lot of different names. I think the one that I kept seeing and I have watched him before for Sassuolo in Italy, uh, Locatelli. There's just a ton of different names. Anyway, there's a lot of different names of players that I've looked at as could potentially replace Busquets at, at the defensive midfield role, yada, yada, yada. But I still stick to the point that Busquets in Barcelona's system is going to be much, much harder to replace. And I'm almost switching and adding on to that argument that I made against PSG, that replacing Busquets is going to be very difficult to impossible. But when I see what Clement Langley does, replacing Langley actually shouldn't be that difficult. If he's no. this out of form for this season and his market value is what it is, you can find another left-footed center back out there in the world. That list is a lot, lot longer. The same thing that if you, I mean, I guess you could have made the argument for Arturo Vidal. And, and even, I mean, Rakitic is a very, very good player, so I think he's a little different. But Vidal, you have a lot of players in the world who do what Arturo Vidal did for Barcelona last year. It's not as if he was some tremendous, tremendous, incredible force for Barcelona. I mean, he was the best option they had from the midfield to score. But it's not like Vidal wasn't replaceable. And instead, that spot on the roster was replaced by Mateus Fernandez. And that's the problem there. That, you know, I could easily replace Mateus Fernandez with you and I because we have the same, <laughs> we're getting the same minutes in the Liga, right? He's only really played. Cheaper. Right. <laughs> we're much cheaper. He only much played. Cheaper. He only played in Champions League one time. So, right. So, I mean, in La Liga, I could put anybody else on the bench there. I mean, you could put a, a Cadet A player, a, a Benjamin A player, right? You could put a 10-year-old because yeah. he's getting the same minutes in La Liga. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like... The, and this, this is going back to the project. This is going back to Bartomeu. This is going back to the issues, not even of playing style, but of how this squad has been constructed, where Langley looked like a, a good buy at the time. He looked like he, again, he came over, he wasn't necessarily cheap though. He came over from Sevilla at, at a pretty lofty, mm-hmm. in, in the mid-30s, as far as the, the euro, uh, the millions of euros. So it's not like he was super cheap, but that first year out of the gate, he, he was really good. And he's done what he, he does well, where he's a good one-on-one defender. He doesn't step, he doesn't overtly step, he doesn't really take chances, but he defensively is quite solid. This year, that is not the case, though. And he keeps giving up penalties in one-on-one situations. So the thing he was brought in to do the best at, he's not really working. And um, do you have something to respond to that? Because I am I want to end this show by talking a little um, De Young and Puj. Yeah, no, I don't have much to add, to be honest. It's just that we've got a club that is not managed by anybody. Uh, we don't have a chairman. We don't have a project. And this is not a thing that's happened for the last couple of weeks. This is ongoing. Uh, we haven't had any decisions. And... Uh, Kuman, obviously, you can criticize him all you want. Uh, obviously, the guy is not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But at the same time, he's been the chairman, because there's a, there isn't a chairman. He's been el portavoz, so he's been the speaker. He's been the voice of Barca. He's been the one that has taken, you know, he he, he left the national team of, um, of Holland to join us because it was his dream job. Then he gets here. He's told to get rid of uh, very expensive players um, like Luis Suarez, for example, like Arturo Vidal that you just mentioned, Rakitic, etc. Loses all those players who, let's face it, they were quality. Uh, they were older, but they were quality. He gets no replacement. Um, he says, I would like to sign Eric Garcia and uh, Memphis Depay. They don't sign either. Then there's injuries to Ansu Fati and other key players as well. Uh, even I'm going to include Sergi Roberto in there as well, to be honest, because uh, he, he is someone who's been a starter for the last two years, and uh, he will be uh, he will be working 
he will be a valid player right now more than Artur, um, Fernandez that you just mentioned and some of the others. So yeah. he's not he's not perfect. Um, he could have filled it a completely different eleven against PSG. He could have made a lot of different choices against Cadiz. But ultimately, he's the manager that has been appointed. He's the manager that has got the confidence of the people in charge, who is nobody. And uh, the election keeps getting delayed. So to be honest, I think that he's doing an admirable job just making sure that the youngsters continue to grow, continue to get playing time. And uh, I really don't know how many managers would do so much better than Kuman this season. Um, and that's that's where we is. Uh, that's where we are. And, and as appalling as it is, and as disappointing as it is, that is the situation now. Let's get the election done. Let's get the next president uh, at the wheel, and then see what we can do from there. That's the nuance of the of the Coleman criticism, that I think so many you see obviously hashtag Coleman out uh, after the last week is what you're seeing everywhere. And there's this referendum on his entire managerial tenure and this season as a whole. And obviously it's a lot easier to put, since there's no president to blame, Bartomeu is gone, you've got to blame somebody. And you can't say Tusquets out because he's not ever in. He's not really, he's a managing president, but he'll be out on March 7th, promise. And then, uh, well, hopefully I, I can promise that, that the, the election goes forward and everything happens. So knock on every part of wood you can. But yeah, then it has to be somebody else, right? Now people are saying PK out, Busquets out, blah, 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 blah. And so Coleman obviously as well. So my criticism with Coleman, as we've been talking about, it's it's nuanced because this season, I keep saying, he's doing a really good job to, I mean, Pedri was the best player on the field. And I think Coleman does deserve some credit for that uh, against yeah. Cadiz. And even what he did for De Young. So this is going to be the, the good and the bad of De Young in a second. But to get De Young to play at the level he was playing for all of January, to get Griezmann back. I mean, a, a lot of credit goes to Griezmann for getting himself back in form in January and early February. But I think Coleman deserves a little bit of credit too for tinkering around and, and figuring out how to make Griezmann and Messi work together, uh, which takes time and takes tactics and takes ideas. And I thought, I think a lot of the ideas that he's put forward would work if Barcelona not only were a, not a deeper team, as in more players, but if their players were just more talented, if they just had better players, if Umtiti and Langley were just one good player who could, if Langley was a player who could play with the ball at his feet and dribble into space and be, I mean, I guess, adequate in one-on-one -on -one defending, you have a much better player. But Umtiti and Langley both have their issues, so you can't really trust either of them. And then you combine that with Mingueza. Let's say you make that one full center back, and then you add the things that Mingueza does well, which he does a lot well, then you add that into those players and you got one really good, really good player uh, that Barcelona doesn't necessarily have that. So to, to, to go back to the nuance of, of Coleman, I thought that against PSG, he did the things that he had to do and he actually had the right game plan. As I, as I mentioned, people disagree with me, but I thought he had the right game plan for the first 30 minutes, but Barcelona aren't talented enough and aren't good enough. And so PSG outclassed them. And Mbappe is a world-class, I mean, he's a, the, the whole argument this week is, is Mbappe the best player in the world now, right? We still say no, it's still messy, but he has an argument to be. I think that's the, that's what I'm arguing, that that people say, oh, Dest, whatever, whatever, whatever. Dest did an admirable job defending maybe arguably now this week the best player in the world for yeah. 60 minutes. So Let I, me I jump in there, Dan. Yeah. So Messi is probably the best player in the world when he really is trying very hard <laughs> and he's not looking at the floor, wandering around and, and you know, thinking of whatever he's thinking. Um, Messi in the Champions League in the decisive matches lately um, is not the best player in the world. I think that that is quite obvious. I think that Messi playing against Leganes, Levante, Eibar, etc. can score for fun, yes. But I think that being the best player in the world has to be when you're, when you're 
when the level of um, expectation, so the level of expectation is through the roof, when everyone's watching, uh, you know, a couple of seasons back when he played against Liverpool, uh, he scored that hat trick that basically had everyone, everyone's jaw dropping. That's what the best player in the world does. But when your the team really, really need you, uh, you don't show yeah. up. That to me is not the best player in the world. Maybe the most skilled, but certainly from a physical and mental perspective, and based on performance today, Messi is not the best player in the world because if he was he would have taken the team forward and put it in his shoulder, which he didn't do. You know, really, really disappointed to to see not just what happened, but the attitude. And and to then, the three or four days after, go back to La Liga and not being able to take your team forward like a captain does, that's, that's not what the best player in the world does. He's the best player at Barca, hands down. Um, and he, we're very grateful for everything he has done. But right now, I, 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 to be honest, I doubt that PSG or Manchester City go and pay him the money that he's hmm. pay, being paid at Barca right now. Uh, hmm. I think that they must be having second thoughts because, you know, you can't really stop the fact that the guy is, what, 34 years old or 33, 33 and, and yeah. a half? 33, yeah, going to be 34 so in the summer. So I don't know if he's worth that much money anymore. And and I know that we've got a lot of people listening to the podcast that love Messi inside out and they probably hate me right now, which it doesn't matter, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I need to speak my mind and, and be honest with, with what I see and, what I see today is that Messi on a great day when everything is going the right way, then yeah, he's the best player in the world. But I think that if you are that good, then at this moment in time, you're able to overcome the hurdle that you've fallen over and over and over again over five years. And this is not to, to, to put the blame on him, obviously, uh, because the team has deteriorated against uh, around him and it's the, I've got nothing against him, of course. But to say that Messi is the best player in the world based on what we've seen this season, no. It's interesting what you say about what could potentially or how this recent week even would affect whether he stays or goes and whether or not staying in this instance would actually be the best thing for him based on the other teams that are trying to bring him in. Those are interesting ideas that we're going to continue to talk about, especially when, again, the new president takes over. I do want to take this conversation and kind of end it and go back to Coleman in speaking of, again, the, the broad criticisms we have about his managing the entire season and the campaign and 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 the ups and downs of this season um and not being able to help will his veterans as well where he, he takes some culpability in that where you know so many managers can get you know any yes you need your captain and your leaders and your veterans to to be the emotional leaders on the field sure but you know managers who who teams you clearly see managers come in and players want to run through a wall for them and now you're at what three and a half managers because i think for luis enrique there at the end, the players were out on him too. So mm-hmm. since Tito Villanova, you have not had a manager that these players wanted to run through a wall for week in and week out. He was the last one. And it really is a great what if, uh, and the saddest what if in Barca history, maybe. I would maybe argue Di Stefano, but then it'd be an entirely different whole thing. But I, I think Tito Villanova is certainly the saddest what if of and his health about what would happen uh, with Barcelona because the plan that he was taking over uh, that that 100 point season and all that stuff. So not since him have these Barcelona veterans. We're speaking of Messi, Busquets, and PK. Have you seen a manager that these players? I mean, again, wanted to wanted to die for, and, and we have not seen that even Coleman. Now, to 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 go off on the individual reasons why I critique Coleman against Kadith. As I said, I actually even though Barcelona got outclassed against PSG, I give Coleman. Not a pass, but I, I, I am much less likely to really critique him than I am against Cadiz. Where against Cadiz, 
I don't want to go back to the Ricky Puj argument and have the same argument. What I will say is Ricky Puj, when Barcelona have him on the field, they move the ball faster. And Barcelona were moving the ball too slowly. Ricky Puj should have started as he started against Alaves last week. He should have started against Cadiz because he's a player that fits what Cadiz were doing. They were doing an excellent, excellent job stepping as a unit and causing Barca to be offside. So you need a player that can break lines with his passing and is going to, you don't have to worry about him defensively, right? Puj is the whole thing is, can he get back in defensive transition? Is his, uh, it will say over exuberance going to get him in the wrong positions? You don't have to worry about that against Cadiz because they weren't really counterattacking well at all. They were just playing in that low block. So he is the player that fits that situation. I'm not saying he's a starter week in and week out. I didn't, I'm not arguing that he should have started against PSG. I'm saying that he was the right choice against Cadiz. And uh, the inverse of that is that Frankie de Jong deserves to start most of the time. He's Barcelona's game in and game out best midfielder. And Pedri, I maybe can have that argument. However, de Jong's runs into the box are less effective with a low block. They were less effective with a traditional number nine last year as well. And against Luis Suarez, why did De Young struggle? Well, because he couldn't make those runs into the box. And the questions that I thought we answered about De Young are now popping up again. And I think that, for De Young, disappointed me even more. You know, But not to immediately contradict myself, his role against PSG, that being De Young, when the other team is coming at you and leaving space in behind, is different than his role against a team like Cadiz when everyone is behind the ball. So even if you didn't start Puj at ha- uh, to, to begin the match, because you wanted to get those that, that 11 to exercise their demons from PSG. Because again, P- Puj, why would Puj feel bad about the PSG situation when he came on in what was the 85th minute or whatever it was? Mm-hmm. So for De Young, I actually thought he was a player that should have been replaced at halftime for Ricky Puj. That's actually where I think looking at how Coleman navigated against Cadiz, where one of the errors were. Where, where De Young, um, not even he was poor against Cadiz, but he didn't necessarily fit. He wasn't really doing the job that you needed that midfield spot to do. And so I think for Coleman, I'm just frustrated at the choices he made. And I think that's been the case with Coleman. We've been more frustrated about the choices he's made in the matches against teams that Barcelona should be winning than against the big, big opponents where Barca just don't have the talent. And there's really only so much you can do in those matches. Yeah, I think that in the biggest matches, it's more about the physical strength and the mental strength than the talent. I think the quality, I think arguably is there. I mean, if you pull them apart as to what they can do or when they're on the ball and they're fit, then I think we've got a very good squad. But yeah. obviously, they're not fit. There's, football is about running. I mean, it's, it's very clear. It's uh, Johan Cruyff said it himself. Like, you need to make the ball run quickly, but for you to be able to move the ball around the, the pitch quickly and effectively, then you need to be sharp. And these players are not sharp. Uh, I think that especially, and we referred, it, um, referred to this the other day as well, the old guard are not fresh. And when it comes to crunch time, they the demons keep, back, uh, keep coming back. And uh, I've seen this meme going around, this picture going around, saying that you can either leave a legend, and there's a picture of like Messi and Iniesta and, and, and Xavi, I think it was, and then, or you can stay in a club long enough to be the villain. Now, that, that is, I don't want to say a bad word, but that is nonsense, okay? I think that these Busquets, um, Piquet, etc., they will leave the club and they will be club legends because of everything they've given. I think that people just sort of focus on the here and now far too much. Uh, the legacy is cemented, but obviously when you've got a combination of everything and everyone falling around you and there's no replacements, then it is natural that the ones that stay the longest um, take the blame. And as for the, the current situation with the young um, and with Pedri and Puig, etc., there's enough time. There's 90 minutes, you know? So even if you 
get the starting 11 not too right, which I think was obvious by halftime that something needed changing, then Kuman should have intervened and made the changes then. I think Ricky Puig would have been an alternative coming on. I'm still not sure what Pjanic does. I'm still not sure what he adds in no. any way, shape or form. I, 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 I put that... him in that same grouping as Langley, where Pjanic, yeah. for as much as he costs, I mean, there are how many how many midfielders in the world can do what he does? I watched the Barca B match. Ies Moriba, this season, is in as good a form as Pjanic. Honestly, sincerely, for what for what he does and offers to Barcelona, he fits into their, their, their style of play. He fits... Well, not even style of play, but he fits next to the other midfielders better than Pjanic does. Pjanic, he yeah. does not fit next to Pedri, De Jong, or Busquets. Any combination of that three in a way that yeah. Ismo Riba does. Exactly. So I, I don't know what he adds, to be honest. Like, I, I keep waiting to see, right, Pjanic is coming on, all right. So he's, he's probably wearing black and white Juventus colors underneath. And hopefully we get that, that Pjanic back. But there's nothing. There's nothing. And I, I, I'm not sure... For the what is it, 80 million euros we paid for him, and then obviously it was a, a hidden swap deal. I don't know what he adds. And uh, oh, well, you're, not, you're with... not giving credit. You're not giving credit to the the masterful genius of that of that of that account. Actually, it no. was Arter. It was Arter that went for 80, and it was Pjanic who went for 70. So Barcelona oh, actually so got the, huge the, profit. the really good deal yeah. there for the player who's seven years older. <laughs> Amazing. So we made 10 million euros, so we can invest in on some Brazilian genius. Um, so there you go. You know, it it is what it is. Uh, Trincao coming off the bench has another match in the last week, even though he was speaking before. So overall, we could be talking here hours, but I think it's more mental. I think that the PSG game was unexpected and the games against Cadiz days, they were still sort of um, knocked out, a little bit KO'd, um, getting back to normal. Obviously, and this is the, this is the problem. I think that Cules see that uh, Atletico Madrid are dropping points and they keep sort of lying to them, or we keep lying to ourselves saying, Oh no no! There is a chance. I Liga, we can go there. There isn't any Liga because Bars are not going to win every game. Uh, Bars are not in a position to compete. I think that it is it is quite obvious in my eyes, and you know I may be the most pessimistic person in the world, but I don't think we're going to win any titles. Um, I think that the most possible is La Copa, but then again we need to put all the stars need to align and all the players need to be geared up and need to be um, basically playing as if the season depended on it because it does in that return game against Sevilla, but um, anything else, it's, I think it's delusional to think that a team that gives 90 minutes of play to the old guy that we've been mentioning, that has got Pjanic as a replacement coming in, um, has got any chance, we, we don't. Well, I'll end it where I started it, that I think with Spanish football in general, we always look at it through the lens of Barcelona, but Real Madrid haven't really been great either this season. Atletico Madrid are dropping points now, finally, after being much, much better than they were the last few seasons. So, um, yeah, I mean, as much as Barcelona aren't going to win the title, it seems like all these other teams don't really want to win the title either. So, I mean, if Barca win, I mean, they can. I mean, they can. it's like, it's, it's a matter of, I know that it's not likely to happen, but until it's mathematically over, whoever thought that Barca would even be eight points away again after after Atletico Madrid was pulling away so I, I mean it's hard to, it's hard to know if Barca go in the same form they went in January and February mathematically they will actually still be very much in the in in the league race if the other two yep. drop points but but Real Madrid I think, I think we're done yeah. just to the last thing the only way that we can possibly improve what we have today is playing the kids just chuck them all out you know mm -hmm. wait till Araujo recovers and put him in Get Mingueza starting, maybe not a right back because Serginho Des needs his time as well. Uh, put on left back, just put even Junior Firpo in so he can, you know, we can sell him for a profit in the summer. Yeah. Um, get 
get a lot more minutes to Ricky Puch. Pedri has got enough minutes, so just continue to give that. The young continues to play and, and obviously growing. Um, I haven't said this in the podcast before, but I was thinking the most, I think the most capable player to replace Busquets is Sergio Roberto because he's played the whole of his uh, Barca career, especially through the ranks. He understands the position well. And when Sergio Roberto is fit, he's actually quite speedy. He's quite robust. And uh, obviously, he's not been, he has been losing every year with the old guy, but he's not the same age. So I think that Sergio Roberto could be, a, not maybe not a starter, but certainly an alternative for someone to consider. Um, Messi has to play. I think that he's our best player, so he has to play, but you know he needs to get his head back in the game. And as for the forwards, you've got to play Griezmann and you've got to play Dembele because they are the better options you've got. I mean, with all due respect, our other alternative, who is Braithwaite, was playing at Leganes last season. Yeah, and Trincao. So Trincao really... gets his minutes too, so he'll figure it Trincao, out. Uh, Trincao gets his minutes every week. Yeah, so, he does. Um, I think that with Dembele and Griezmann, even if you had to sell them in the summer, who, which you know is debatable, uh, you may as well keep them because they're not going to give you half the money of what you paid for them. Then then see what happens. But I think that if you do that, then even if you don't win La Liga, which is unlikely, then at least you've got in four or five months' time you've got the next generation geared up and yeah. confident and, and ready to go and then see what happens once Laporta comes in. He may be making some changes. He may be keeping Kuman. If Kuman stays, I think it is clear that he knows exactly what to change in the in the squad, etc., etc., etc. So we'll see where we are once the season ends, but we definitely need a chairman. Uh, we ne- definitely need a, a president, someone who knows what to do, someone who understands the club, and that can make the decisions that are much needed that you and I have been screaming for for at least 18 months. Yeah, I mean, the good news is that Barcelona don't have much time to, to lick their wounds about Cadiz because it's Elche on Wednesday. So Elche, I, I don't can't think of a, a time when Elche was this important of a match unless you put a lot of stake in the Juan Gamper trophy, So, which obviously <laughs> is, just, is a fun friendly at the, at the start of the year. So yeah, the match against Elche is just two days away. And these matches are going to continue on. And as I said, the rest of them are dropping points and Barca are... They are trying to find themselves and figure it out. And, you know, we've been saying play the kids, and I agree. Barca B, I watch them, and if you've got a midweek match, this is the moment, right? This is, Alche is the moment when you can actually play those Barca B kids when they don't have another match midweek. So I'd love to see it. I don't know if we're going to see it, but what I do know is we'll see you back here for the next podcast, whether that is not necessarily Frances, he's got the rest of the week off, but whether we see you for another <laughs> podcast this week or we see uh, you along with Frances to start next week for that show. Again, there's two matches between then and, uh, then and now. So we want to thank you at least for tuning in to this one. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or LTD13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tvpod.link backslash group. Deeper dives and discussion. And you can also help us all on Patreon to continue making these shows at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube now at the Barcelona Podcast. Check us out there and hit that subscription button. And if you have this in your ears on Monday, again, there's a surprise. There's, there's good stuff coming in the works. I'm going to say one word, Twitch. Twitch is the word, Frances. No other details, but keep an eye out on social media everywhere else. I've got no idea what word. that means. He doesn't what's know what tw- it means yet. What's what's a Twitch? Is that something that happens to you? Is that an illness? What is a Twitch? Well, I mean, they say that they say that Usman Dembélé is a quick Twitch athlete, but I, no, I'm not going to be speaking to Usman Dembélé. <laughs> but there is some fun stuff in the work, as I said, so keep an eye out on that. But for now, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.